broadcasting from across the North American continent of the Terran Empire, bringing you our unpopular Star Trek opinions since 2020. This is Code 47. And we are back. It's the holiday season. Holiday season and dickery do, and I'm not going to finish that because I always thought it was dirty. Anyway, uh, this is the <laughs> this is the Code Forty Seven podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am uh, Trek Lord of West Michigan, Charlie Carden, Captain of the USS Grant Petoskey, coming to you on this. Christmas Eve Eve. Yes, we are recording on December 23. Uh, when you hear us, it'll be past Christmas. So I hope you had, if you celebrate, I hope you had a lovely Christmas holiday. But I am here as always with uh, crewman 14th class, uh, red shirt number 12. Uh, that would be Peter Stein. Good evening, Peter. Happy holidays. Happy Christmas. Happy, happy Christmas. Give us some money. Oh, good stuff. Well, cool. Well, we are we are back as always in our bi-weekly format to talk about our love of Star Trek. We've been cutting things up between uh, bi-weekly uh, recaps of two episodes of Star Trek Discovery and uh, actually learned that uh, we will uh, be getting a little Discovery hiatus in the month of January. We will be getting back to uh episodes of uh, star trek prodigy and kind of finishing out that or continuing that season rather so so our next episode will have uh, actually the episode that aired today which believe it or not i was i was away from home and i, I didn't watch it first thing shame on I me I, either, so. you know i mean shame i guess i don't I, then i don't feel as bad as i could uh so i'll watch that over the holiday weekend and by the time we circle back again we'll have two episodes to talk about and then we will jump into talking about additional episodes of the animated star trek prodigy but uh let's hop right into it right after we talk about this episode's uh vhs cover of the week now these are um I feel bad because I'd love to get a little variety into these. Uh, and it's kind of funny because we're talking about each one that we're talking about because we're in episode 61. We have episode 61 of the original series, uh, which is in the beginning of season three. And we're just rounding out season two. But the image of this says a thousand words. I, don't, I, wonder, I wonder if this was somehow the inspiration for like cerebro in the x-men movies uh like the we saw in first class or maybe you know doc brown's brain reader and back to the future in the 1950s segments see that one for sure. yeah because it's uh yeah it's it's the it's the episode uh with the longest uh, you know what i'm 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 misrepresenting yeah i just i was i feel like this image is actually from the episode with the longest title of any star trek for the world is hollow and i have touched the sky because i thought i thought that's what was going on here but it must be a mistake but yeah this is McCoy, right spock's brain which was the season three premiere or at yep. least it was the broadcast premiere yep. widely regarded to be the single worst episode of all 800 aired segments of star trek i mean can you think of a worse one it's ridiculous i mean uh, sub rosa still might be the worst for me Bev's hooking up with a ghost. Yes, but I mean, you have an alien society that essentially does exactly what's described in in the title. They uh, they steal Spock's brain uh, in order to power their society, and uh, hijinks ensue. You know what can I say? What can I say? That's always the way that works. It's so completely absurd. 
Yes, it's completely plausible. You did a letter writing campaign to bring back Star Trek, and you get this. <laughs> you tune in, and you're like, you know what? Fuck you, Star Trek. I'm sorry. There, I'm not editing myself out um, because <laughs> because if I was watching this on. Uh, September 20th of 1968 when it first aired. I think I probably would have gotten slapped by my mama because kids didn't talk like that in the 60s and, and get away with it. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, yeah, you're right. The show that the show that couldn't get canceled enough uh, kind of set the set the bar, set the tone for what would finally be its Waterloo, you know, its death rattle uh, was with this episode. So, uh, so anyway, that's delightful. But let's let's get right into the meat of it. We already talked about a new story. Obviously, Discovery is going to be taking a break, but we got two episodes to talk about. We got episodes four, and we have episode five. So let's jump right on in. Peter, did you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just forgot the name, so I can't give too much detail. But we did have an announcement of a new Star Trek video game. Oh. You're absolutely right. That is a big deal for me because we haven't had a good Star Trek game in ages. With, I mean, they've they've had that Star Trek Online and hasn't there been. I don't do the game Star stuff. Online, but, Star Trek Online has been pretty solid. It's not right, crazy, but it's pretty but, great. But this is like a console. I, I feel bad that we didn't get prepared. This is like a console, like action game thing happened. It's, is that what you're talking about? It's a game. So basically what it is, oh. is walk through a narrative story. So you do certain things, but it's guiding you through a story. So it's less intensive as most other games. Okay. Okay. Or whatever. Oh, but that's awesome. Like a fully fleshed out story. And that's like the big thing that they're known for. So oh, that's awesome. Wow, look at that. This is our, our lack of details news reporting because we're like... Star Trek I, Resurgence. Yes, that is correct. And I've, so I've seen the... Five years after Nemesis. So we're okay. the next generation film aesthetic, which okay. I, for one, am a big fan. Right, and it's interesting because that is that is not only where Lower Decks takes place, but it's also where Prodigy takes place. So it, it's kind of funny that they're really that they're really zeroing in on that, you know, three to five year time period it could be interesting there could be some interaction who's to say um but anyway all right let's jump right into talking about discovery we got uh and peter i'm going to kick this over to you uh we have episode four all is possible tell us all about it so we have a, the brief description is tilly and adira lead a team of starfleet academy cadets on a training mission that takes a dangerous turn Ooh, big surprise Meanwhile, Burnham pulled into tense negotiations on Navarre. Oh, man. Would it be aggressive negotiations? <laughs> I don't have any, they don't have any lightsabers. and There's no lightsabers in Star Wars. I think that might actually end up being the, uh, the title of this episode. I'm going to start working on it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, we had, um, you know, we, and I, I kind of uh, hinted a little bit about you know, kind of my frustration and you and I have talked a little bit about that. My frustration with kind of the, the ass dragging they're doing with Tilly, uh, as a character in this yeah. season. Um, and this was, uh, this was kind of, uh, in th- this was kind of the pinnacle of that because we, um, you know, we, um, you know, she's, she's led on a very generic, boring, let's take all the cadets on a burr, 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 and we're in a, we're in a shuttlecraft and nothing could go wrong until something goes wrong. And then the pilot's dead. And then we can't, uh, get in touch with anybody. Yeah. And then we can't, you know, and then the shuttle's not safe and oh, look, there's monsters in the ice and it's the ice and we can't go out in the ice. My l- <laughs> And once and, and we have to walk through the ice to get to the high ground. Oh, more Star Wars. We have to walk to ice to get to the high ground. It's over Tilly. <laughs> it's over Tilly. I have the high ground. I still didn't see any lightsaber, so I am I'm still ca- I'm still calling a, I'm calling a technical on this one. Um but yeah, my favorite I remember what when April and I were watching this a couple weeks ago, I said, I love that 
Adira stops. It was either Adira or Tilly or both stopped to give their, um, you know, big speech uh, while being chased by the monster and the monster took that moment to take a piss break or take a smoke break or take some kind of break where they just like you had like maybe 90 seconds where the monster stopped advancing on them and then they started again. Um, So super generic plot development that really just didn't do it for me. I mean, yeah, it was okay. I, I appreciated the attempt of the juxtaposition between that and the negotiations Right. With the, oh, we need to work together a bit. And so it's like, here's politics needing to work together. Here's cadets needing to work, work, right. to work together. Oh, look, we're all working together. Right. Family. And they also had Book doing his thing where he was learning to process things and work together with Cole. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So you had an A, B, and a C story about love and togetherness and, and et cetera, as a good friend of mine would always like to end her sentences with, and et cetera. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like the whole Navarre thing. That's kind of cool. We definitely see that playing forward, uh, into the next episode, but you know, and at the end of it, we, we have Tilly saying, you know what, you know, I've been blah, 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 existential, this and that, and I'm just not really feeling it being on a ship anymore. Um, this thing and that thing. I'm going to go teach at Starfleet Academy, even though I'm like 22. So, yeah. A little strange. Well, it was a little, it was no more ridiculous than her being the first officer with the rank of lieutenant. Uh, And everybody else, everybody else on the ship outranked her, but she's the XO. Um, So I thought, so I've just, I've just kind of grown where I found Tilly as a character in season one to be fun and refreshing and quirky and kind of feeling like, oh, she's like every awkward nerdy girl that you've ever met in your life, but she's on Star Trek and it's 23rd century and blah, blah. Now I just, I think that I'm kind of happy where we appear to be leaving her behind. I mean, I could, yeah, you know, I mean, they're, they're petering her out. I don't know if she really took a big step back from the cast. I don't know if that's official. Um, but I, you know, hate to come right out and say it, but I, I really will miss her a lick. I, I had grown really weary of her character. So, Well, they hadn't figured but, out how to write her any differently. Right, her. exactly. And, then were, and all of a sudden, existential crisis. Yeah, yeah. Work through the existential crisis. So, so I... For- all the yeah. films since J.J. Abrams don't know how to deal with rank at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that really that really did ruin it. Yeah. Rank and, and the fact that, yes, it's true that, you know, in Starfleet, rank advancement, it does not mirror the United States military. I mean, if you look at, I use Commander Riker as a great example because I'm familiar with his background. Season one of TNG, the character was 28 years old and he was a commander. He was an 05 rank, which is usually the rank of someone who's in their 40s. If if they were if they attended a military academy and started, you know, and started in the military service when they were 22, 25, I would say they would be in their late 30s, early 40s before they would hit a rank like that. Then making captain by maybe 50 because captain is, you know, <clears throat> the top. But again, JJ movie said, oh, Kirk, you're, you know, 22 um, through a couple of twists and turns. You're now the captain of our most advanced ship because this thing and that thing happened. It's just like, bro, come on now. You know, it's just, it's very on, you know, it it just kind of uh, flies in the face. So I don't, I don't miss Tilly. Tilly can stay gone. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of copacetic with that. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really. What's that? Rap to Um, me. Rap to me. Yeah. The, I can't rap. (laughs) I wish. 
Um, rap, I, okay, it's not rap with a W, but when I say rap, it's like, that's an expression I use that's more kind of like from the 1970s where somebody's just talking. It's not like Run DMC, which I can I can try to rap. I love Golden Age rap. I love old rap movies, but I'm not going to throw that on you. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I lack the ability. You, but, you, 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 you're, you're lacking in the rapping? Yep. It's Excellent. It's a skill or lack thereof. Um, I understand. But the with Navarre, I kind of liked how they showed all of the um, the political compromise and the machinations. Some of it was a little bit too transparent. Of like, okay, I know what they're doing here, right? Um, but the only the only quibble that I have with it is that it ended with Burnham being the solution is I'm going to be on a council again. Like it it just for me it's one of those like. Old Star Trek would be like Kirk or Picard or Cisco would be like, we need a committee. Let's pick some of our best people. And here you go. Not volunteering. And I understand right. why they made her do it because, oh, I'm a it's, of the Federation and Vulcan. But it was right. one of those. Right. I, I, I'm kind of tired of her being the solution to everything. And this yeah. is kind of going back to that. And I was like. So to quote another song, which I'll toss you a, a lyric out. She's every woman. It's all in her. She's every woman. Oh my God! Did I find a new title for the episode? <laughs> maybe. Oh, uh, maybe. All right, let's move on to the examples. Episode five. All right, and I will. I will read this. Uh, Burnham and Book uh, race to evacuate a group of stranded colonists in the anomaly's path. I get back to the anomaly, uh, as it couldn't get too far away from the anomaly, as one of the Federation's brightest scientists comes aboard the USS Discovery to do high-stakes research with Saru and Stamets. Ooh, high-stakes research! Tell me all about it! Oh, yeah, high-stakes research. So we, we get the classic, like, ooh, we have this zany, grumpy scientist shows up who doesn't can't give the time of day to the crew. <laughs> Like that's a pretty classic trope, but he comes on and they're researching the, uh, um, the DM, the 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 the, 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 the yeah the DMV yeah it is the DMA, yeah. Yeah, which to me again totally sounds like it could be a rap you know maybe because I love Run DMC the DMA Run D oh Run DMA all right changing it again keep going keep talking my friend I keep thinking DMV like Department of Motor Vehicles like, exactly and then they're gonna sit there and be slow as which they kind of are they take all the episode to figure it out. Um, but you have so basically you have them working as the B plot doing some research on the DMA, and then the main plot is the DMA is moving and it could potentially to potentially destroy a uh, colony, well not a colony, just a, an asteroid city, I guess. And so they're like, oh, we're gonna go evacuate everybody. So they bring like five starships, and then they right, bring everybody up, and then it's revealed that oh, there's prisoners underneath this shielded bunker and. And we're going to go rescue them, but they're and, and, and we can't let them go. Right, exactly. Which is just like, th- yeah, this jams right into your very common like, but that's not how the Federation works because blah blah blah, and all lives are precious. And this is the exact plot line of an episode of Voyager called Repentance in season seven. To remember that that Voyager uh, ends up uh, taking on the, um, the 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 prisoners from a penal vessel, and they they had to create a little uh, prison in the in the cargo bay, 
and the society in question, it's the um, it's the family of the victim that gets to ultimately decide the fate of the prisoner. And yeah. one of the, one of the prisoners is a character actor who you've seen in everything uh, is befriended by Neelix, and it's found out that this guy has a correctable um, medical like defect in his brain, and they fix it. And so you know, then he he he's not a bad guy anymore. But ultimately, the family says, "Yeah, we still kind of want you to pay the price." So, and he does. So. Um, and that is that is interesting uh, to me, and and I thought that this episode was interesting. I love the little um, the little killer. What was it? The, the, the killer turtles with the, the killer beetles. <laughs> the killer beetles, yeah. yeah. The killer beetles, which, as I understand it, was a rejected name from the famous pop group in the early nineteen sixties. No, I'm just kidding. The killer beetles. <laughs> they actually, actually, little beetles trivia, trivia. One of the prior names of that group was the Silver Beetles. So there, this this could kind of be that. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of dug it. You know, they they left a little intrigue, and again, you and I uh, both could have watched uh, episode six today, and we didn't. So, kind of shame on us. But we're going to get to that next time. Um, but uh, you know, y- you were left with the strong impression that you know Johnny Science Guy, whose name is what's the name of Johnny Science Guy? Ruan Tarka. Yeah, I mean he's he's kind of a dipshit, you know. He's he's, he's kind he's of Ryzen, one of the first ones that we've seen since Deep Space. Nine. Right, exactly. But he's decidedly non Ryzen because he's kind of an asshole, uh, and everybody on Ryza is all about you know. J- j- it's all about you know Jamaharon and getting down and all that kind of stuff, and that's not really what we got going on and here. He so just yells at Saru's face, which was that was a right. And then you got to see Saru yell back. He's like, Brrr. it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you're left with a pretty. Um, pretty solid impression that Tarka knows a little bit too much yeah, about what's going on, you know, and that's, that's really not going to be great, but it does, it does drive intrigue. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just, it just really does drive intrigue. And you, you see a lot of, you see a lot of great stuff, you know, with that in this episode. And also Colbert has a great arc. I thought, but go ahead, please. Yeah. No, I just have something about the end so we can talk about the rest of the episode first. But um, yeah, Culber does have a pretty good arc with this one. I thought it was the the one thing that was a little interesting for me, and I don't know if you have a different insight on this one, was how they're using um, Kovic as kind of like a, another sort of uh, psychological sounding board. Um, like he's talking to uh, Culber about what Culber is feeling. And like oh, you you're talking about. You talk about David David Cron- director David Cronenberg, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's awesome, and I love it how everybody's in this. But nope, I'm a hologram. I'm out, um, so you never really know. But yeah, I thought that that was great, and of course, I, I, you know, as a as a student of humanity myself, I have a great interest in you know clinical psychology and this kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I really do, I really do like that, and I really thought that that was great. And it's it's interesting that he is a uh, Culber is a medical doctor on board the ship, but he's not the chief medical officer, but he also became the ship's counselor, which was not something that they even had in the 23rd century that we ever saw. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's interesting to see him wearing a bunch of hats. It's interesting to hear him talk a little bit about his past and his family. He was re- recalling, uh, uh, a death ceremony for a uh, for a relative where they had a kind of, they, they kind of described he kind of week he, they kind of had a weekend at Bernie's a dead relative something doing yeah, the service to do that yeah yeah exactly so no I loved it but yeah I think that we're we're absolutely left uh, with knowing that our Rysian guy is is kind of a dirty bird so I guess we will I, find out I'm of the opinion that it's not necessarily him as a Ryzen. okay uh, because at the very end of the episode. Uh, he's talking to 
Who is he talking to? I was talking to – well, Stam, it was Stamets and – Stamets and then Book. Book is the one. Right, right. Um, so he's talking to Book, and then he kind of reaches up and rubs the back of his neck after he gives, like, an idea that he knows something. And we oh. see a circular mark, and I'm – Oh, he's chain. That he's chain. Right, no, no, Emerald no, no, chain. chain. Not chain, not chain. I'm thinking that he might be um, – that they might be bringing back the uh, the bluegill. Oh my god! Literally, when you said, you know what, I didn't make that connection until you started talking, and then I'm I'm zeroed in on that because that's a great plot line that was revisited in the post uh, series DS9 novels, which are of course not canon, so they can do anything with it. But wow, good catch, Peter! I like that. I like I like that idea a lot. It's also explored in the fan series that I work on, so that's why oh. I'm really aware of it. But of course. That, that's really where it's at. So, well, cool. Uh, okay, so in our next episode, we will tackle episode six. Um, and then I believe we'll also tackle the return of Prodigy, which would be great. So we'll yeah. still have two episodes to talk about. And we will then finish uh, what we're going to start right now because we're going to launch into segment two, which is, what is it called, Peter? It's been a long road. Getting from there to here, that's right. We are now approaching the three-quarter mark of season two of Star Trek, the original series. On the whole, I think we've got some better episodes to talk about here. So let's uh, let's uh, let's get the party started. I will admit that uh, you know I started a new job recently. I haven't really been keeping up on you know my rewatches, but again, I'm I'm so super familiar with a lot of these episodes that I watched probably four or five of the seven that we're going to talk about. So um, I will probably let you talk about the first one because that is not one that I rewatch, even though I'm very familiar with it. But I'll let you I'll let you take that one. Yeah. So the first one, episode 14, I believe, is Mm -hmm. uh, directed by Joseph Pevney, written by Robert Block, aired on December 22nd, 1967. So, you know, yesterday. Uh huh. Ooh. Wolf and, in the fold. You bet. And it starts with my favorite piece of music. Click click. Yeah, the the dancing cantina music or whatever. Mm, very good. But anyway, take it away. So, the, Mr. Scott is implicated in a series of bizarre murders on planet Argalius during a planned break for Scotty Kirk and. Oh, okay. On planet Argalius during a planned break. Scotty, Kirk, and Bones encounter a series of events where Scotty is blamed for murdering three women, two local to the planet, and one crew member aboard the Enterprise, Lieutenant Tracy. The Prefect wants to investigate the murder on the planet, but all methods seem futile. Once aboard the Enterprise, the computer, fed with all the medical records of Scotty, begins analyzing Scotty's response to all of the questions. The committee realizes that Scotty is not lying, and indeed someone or something else is responsible for the murder. The committee eventually finds that the thing resembles Jack the Ripper from, Ooh, from yes. Earth and has been known to exist throughout the 20th, 21st century and so on and all system on all systems between Earth and Argalius. Upon further analysis, Heingist, security advisor to the prefect, is found to be possessed with the shifter that causes fear in humanoids and kills them. The thing takes control of the Enterprise and th- Enterprise computer and threatens to kill them all. Spock overrides the controls to manual, overloads the computer banks to calculate the last digit of pi, classic, making the thing nice. two hours while Bones tranquilizes the entire crew. The thing is captured inside Hyngist. Finally, oh, and it says he's transported to the furthest regions of the galaxy. Uh, no, he is transported 
just generally outside the ship into a out. zillion pieces. It, right, because the, the transporter doesn't have the capacity to transport against. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I will, again, I'm getting this off uh, Wikipedia, uh, but it's coming upon our talents to summarize it better. Um, I, I, I dug this episode. I, I probably really should have watched it again, but, you know, I, we'll call season two kind of the season of, of Scotty just getting the shaft. He's died like in two or three episodes. And then. And then in this, he's he's uh, he's possessed by a murdering spirit. I mean, what else? He is. Here's a great parallel. Who else gets the shaft? Who happens to wear an engineering uniform in Star Trek? That would be Jordy. Because what happens to Jordy? He never gets the girl. Gets kidnapped by Romulans. He ends up in a mud pit with the Romulans stranded on a planet. I mean, what? His mom's ship, you know, sink into oblivion after. Right. Life. Yep. Yeah. It loses his mom, but it gets tormented by some weird space alien that pretends to be his mom. I mean, everything for Jordy really sucks. He doesn't, you know, and it's kind of the same thing for Scotty because what happens is Scotty goes on. Oh, his nephew joins Starfleet and he's on the Enterprise. And tra- he dies. And Scotty, Scotty has to be there when he dies. And uh, just and then and then in the end, Scotty gets trapped in a transporter for 75 years and then he's in the next generation. So, I mean, I guess in the end he gets a second lease on life, but, you know, his life in the 23rd century really blows. So I really do hope that, you know, after we don't see him, after he kind of flies off into the sunset on that shuttlecraft at the end of Relics, the, you know, season six of TNG, uh, that things are really going better for him because they are not going better for him in this episode. It really sucks. No. But oh my goodness! Good episode overall. I enjoyed it. Definitely, Scotty is a punching bag. I know, doubt about it. But anyway, can, you know, nothing can compare uh, with what comes up next, which is probably probably on most people's at least number two of best episodes of the series. This was number like one of the few episodes that won an award. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, this was probably second only to City on the Edge of Forever, which was written by Harlan Ellison and it's at the end of season one. But this is The Trouble with Tribbles, written by Joseph Pevney, uh, directed by David Gerard. Oh, maybe that was the other way around. Uh, yeah, yeah. David Gerard was the writer. Uh, Joseph Pevney uh, is a, a, a kind of a staff director, so he does a lot of stuff. This aired uh, December 29, 1967. So again, right around this time. Uh, but yeah, this is great. Uh, is going on. I mean, everybody knows the plot, but I'll just break it down. Tri- tribbles, purry, fluffy, and fertile creatures uh, disrupt the exploitation of a disputed planet. The Klingons and the Federation are squabbling over. Uh, the Enterprise reports to Space Station K7 on the edge of the neutral zone. Uh, the station administrator, uh, Mr. Barris, asks Kirk to provide protection for the storage grain. Uh, that will help, uh, obviously, the Enterprise and the Federation uh, keep the Klingons from uh, capturing this vital planet. Um, boy, this is a really long and unnecessary. But anyway, uh, Uhura and Chekhov are hanging out in the bar with this dude, Cyrano Jones, who is carrying this furry little tribble thing. Uh, he gives one to Uhura. It ends up back on the ship. We find out that, and it's funny because we obviously get exponential uh, backstory on the Tribbles with uh, the trouble with Edward uh, Star Trek, uh, the the short treks uh, following Discovery Season 2. Uh, so you get a little backstory and found out that they were actually created uh, or weaponized by uh, a Starfleet officer a couple of years before this. Um, but anyway, the Tribbles uh, reproduce exponentially. They end up all over the Enterprise. They end up in the storage grains uh, in the vent system, uh, which gives us, of course, the famous uh, Kirk and the Pilot Tribbles uh, visual, which we've been all been enjoying for 50 years. Uh, it's later revealed that the crop was poisoned by a Klingon spy uh, who has been... Uh, 
Arn Darvin, who has been posing all along, who looked like, I kid you not, I've always thought this, particularly because the outfit that he was wearing looked like a early Beatles John Lennon. Take a good look at his face. And then take a good look at take a good look at John Lennon from one of the early Beatles album covers with the Beatles or Please Please Me looks exactly the same. Um, but uh, yeah, Kirk uh, Kirk foils the plot. They get away. They leave Cyrano Jones to collect all the tribbles on the station, and the Enterprise flies off into the sunset. So, absolute classic. But this was a classic that really spawned another classic that is one of the most fun episodes of, of deep space nine, uh, which would be uh, trials and tribulations where they, they forced gum to this episode into um, a plot line where our DS nine crew aboard the defiant ends up tossed backwards in time uh, and gets integrated into the events uh, of this storyline. So fun episode, uh, lots of great fun lines, uh, yeah, I, I I can't say enough good things about it. I absolutely love it's, it. It's a fantastic episode. Growing up, this when we didn't really have television, didn't have cable or anything. Yeah. Up, so like the only thing that we could watch was like VHS recordings, and this was the only original series episode we had. Yeah. Oh man. Bad boy on repeat a lot. So like I know the trouble with triples. Well, it's oh fantastic. my goodness, funny and stuff. Right when they had that. Uh, the exhibit down in Detroit, they actually had mm. little, they had that little itty bitty model of the Enterprise that they stuck on a shelf in the window to make it look like <laughs> so I got to see that. I remember that exhibit too. Is about about uh, back in two thousand nine, I think it was. Saw that at the at the oh, Detroit no, Science Institute. Two years ago, the two. Oh, gotcha. Oh, the one, the one, the other one. The one. Okay, gotcha. Not in Detroit, Ann Arbor. Uh, it was it wasn't it Henry Ford? Yeah, it was a Henry Ford. Yeah, I, I did not. There's a whole country. I I didn't end up. I actually ended up boycotting that, but that's a whole other story uh, that had to do with the cosplay group I was involved in at the time and how we got we got snubbed by these people. So I was I, I was kind of sour about it, but um, who knows? Maybe it'll come around again and and uh, and the Petoskey will get to represent. We'll see what happens. So, all right, moving on uh, to episode 16. Peter, this one's all yours. Episode 16, directed by Gene Nelson, written by Margaret Armin, aired January 5, 1968, The Game Streamers of Triskelia. I bid 12 quatloos on the newcomer. 13. <laughs> Go ahead. The multicolored brains. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Don't get too far ahead of yourself now. Go on. Captain Kirk, Chekhov, and Uhura are kidnapped by powerful disembodied aliens by a trans-solar system transporter. Absolutely. Why not? And forced to fight in gladiatorial contests for the aliens' gambling entertainment. While trying to beam down to Planet Gamma 2, you just said that. They are. I I totally did. To Triskelion. And it's never been mapped by the Federation. So B-plot is the Enterprise has to find them. Uh, there, the three of them are trained in skills to fight from the trainers and the other beings called thralls. Any act of disobedience was met with pain through the collars around their necks. So those fancy triangles on their neck that you see. Mm, fancy triangles. There you go. Yeah, the, the Enterprise, commanded by Spock, leaves Gamma 2, finds a hydrogen cloud with a mysterious energy field, and follows that to find them. On Triskelion, Kirk manages to impress the providers and bonds with his thrall to learn more about the providers. While trying to run away, the providers show their true selves and wager a deal with Kirk for one last fight between Kirk and basically all the thralls. Um, Kirk manages to defeat them because he's Kirk, setting all the thralls Word. and making the providers teach the thralls all the knowledge they possess and allowing them to make a new society. 
All right. Good stuff. Um, super duper silly episode, in my opinion. You got you got Kirk romancing uh, a precursor to Lady Gaga in a tinfoil outfit. Um, you have you have ba- the other guy is Elvis. You have an and you have an Andorian, and then you have just the the butchest alien I've ever seen trying to seduce Chekhov. So it felt like kind of caricature after caricature. I, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish, but this episode really does have Kirk at his finest, kind of t- kind of talking in, in, a, in a way, talking to, you know, kind of outsmarting a computer, which is these three, like you said, brain, the, the three brains in a jar. I build, uh, I build twelve quatlus for the newcomer. Just I build seventeen. I will bet that he will not. Burr, 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 burr. You know, it's just the whole thing seems kind of silly. It's very Star Trekky, um, but at the end of it, he's like, "You learn things to know and to love and to get to space." And burr, burr, burr. he's just he's very Shatnery at the end, where he's yeah. like, and then she's like, "I will look towards the points of stars." And blah blah blah. And think, yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, okay, buddy. It's again, <laughs> Kirk using his charms to get what he wants to right. get out of sticky situations, or, or in this case, getting into one. Oh boy, was that? Does that too? I does. Yes, exactly. Oh, fortunately, they keep that off camera. Oh my goodness! Well, I was very fond of this next episode. Uh, I love this because I'm a fan of like the Untouchables and series like that. But episode 17 is a piece. Of the action directed oh, by James. The action. Yeah, you see it. Oh, you call. Uh, I don't take it personal. Quake. Quake. Directed by James Comack. Story by uh, David P. Harmon. Uh, teleplay by David Harmon and Gene L. Kuhn. Someone else, uh, a big name in the series. January 12 of 1968. The Enterprise visits a planet with a violent culture based upon America's 1920 prohibition era uh, after receiving a hundred year late radio report from an old starship uh, our classic trio of characters beam down and discover pretty much what i just told you uh everything was spawned basically from a book left behind by this old ship the horizon hundred years hence uh, about the mobs of chicago from 1920 uh realizing the enterprise has to kind of reverse prime directive this situation uh kurt gets all the bosses together in one place and forms a syndicate where he's uh, the boss uh, with the ultimate aim of pretty much uh, making that. It was funny. I fell asleep while I was watching this because it was on my tablet and I was in a hotel room. I was like, <sighs> but I, I've seen the plot a lot before. But yeah, Kirk does his thing. He organizes the syndicate by proving that kind of the enterprise is uh, the, you know, you know, the big boss, most powerful entity uh, and said that he was going to he'll be back for his cut. Though obviously, uh, what what Kirk is really going to do with his cut that he negotiated is to reinvest it in the planet, which is very Federation like. But of course, what happens? We find out that McCoy leaves his communicator behind, which uh, in a lot of non-canon follow-ups, they said, "Oh well, they uh, the, the society on this planet, being so imitative, decided to disassemble the communicator, and then they became the, a Federation planet." So whatever. I like to think that they just kind of went on being what they were. Um, but it's fun. It's a campy episode, but it still has a good pro-Federation message, I think. I and think that they still managed to pull that off. Great moments where they're trying to figure out the lingo, where Kirk is using right. the lingo and no one knows what the heck he's yes. talking about. And where the is last- he? Go ahead. The uh, the the fliver, uh, which is the car uh, heater, or you know, put put him on ice, put somebody in jail, and the classic is of course the card game of Fizzbin. Yes, Fizzbin. <laughs> and then my one of my favorites that I love to point out to people: 
because I'm a nitpicker, Kirk can't drive a stick shift to save his life. Oh my God, he, he, he knew how to get it into reverse? Yeah, because I don't think they went that much further from there. I'm trying to remember how that he scene went. went. On the block. Like, he figured it out, but there was a point where it's like, Kirk, uh, Spock looks at him like, Captain, your skills as a starship captain are exemplary, but your skills mm-hmm. as a taxi driver leave much to be desired. Well, I re- a point where it's like, we should drive back, and Spock's like, no, we need to no. Oh, my God. Well, I do. Uh, it does remind me of uh, a similar uh, scene in the, the 2003 episode of Star Trek Enterprise, Carpenter Street, where they go back to uh, yeah. where it's to Paul and Archer in my hometown uh, of Detroit, Michigan, which unbeknownst to me has mountains in it, um, because when they pull out for the final shot, there's mo- there's the Detroit mountains, which I don't know if you're familiar with, meaning oh, it was yeah. filmed, meaning it was filmed in California. But uh, yeah, uh, to Paul and Archer have to uh, have to, you know, abscond with a, a vehicle. And she says, do you know how to operate one of these things? And he's like, I can drive a starship. And he does figure it out, but it takes him a minute doing the P P me or P or D or what, what do the letters mean? So yeah, it was, it was kind of evocative of that. So I really, I really dug it. But, uh, leaving from the silly episode, we get into a pretty serious allegory about the Vietnam war. So Peter, take it away. Are we? This, the next one is the immunity syndrome. Oh, okay, then, much like in the last episode, I have scrolled too far. So, Peter, talk to me about the immunity syndrome. Not not a very serious episode. Episode 18, directed by Joseph Pevney again, written by Robert Sar- Sab- Sab- Sabaroff. Robert, Robert S. Yes. Uh, aired on January 19, 1968. The immunity syndrome, the giant amoeba in space. The crew of the wow, Enterprise wow, encountered wow. Yeah, an energy-draining space creature. On their way to Starfleet Command Base 6, the Enterprise receives an order for a mission to check on Starship Intrepid in the Gamma 7 solar system. They find a black space covering the path of the system with no visible stars through it. Upon crossing into the space, the Enterprise begins to lose energy, and it is pulled into space towards a single-celled organism, which is massive, completely massive. After losing two probes to investigate the organism and failing in any attempt to pull away Kirk chooses Spock to take the shuttlecraft into the organism membrane investigate and find a way to destroy it also this is where the intrepid died ouch the intrepid died in here that's a toughie (laughs) Spock finds out that the organism is about to reproduce oh no we don't want more than this and has a nucleus that can be attacked with a full charge of antimatter energy antimatter will do that yeah Uh, indeed it will Kirk then manages to send the probe with the help of Scotty, equipped with a timed bomb of antimatter, and the Enterprise begins to drift out of the membrane, grabbing the shuttlecraft with a tractor beam, and as they get out, the organism explodes. And the galaxy is saved from everything eating giant space amoeba. Right. I uh, will not lie to you. I found, I watched this one today, and I find this to be a very unmemorable episode. It's like, oh boy... Super space anomaly. Uh, oh, so less we say about that, the better. Let's move on to the episode I thought I was talking about, which is actually pretty significant. Uh, and then we're, we're also running down on time, so we'll go through these kind of quick. Uh, but episode 19 is called A Private Little War, directed by Mark Daniels, story by Don uh, Ignalis, and uh, teleplay by Gene Roddenberry, well, which is a kind of reflective of... Um, of, of kind of its significant tone. Uh, Captain Kirk must decide how to save a primitive people from the technological interference of the Klingons. Upon landing on a planet with a humanoid population, Kirk finds that half that population, led by his old friend Tyree, is still primitive, and the other half has 
firearms. Uh, Spock is shot and he's being back to the ship to recover. Kirk and McCoy must begin an investigation. Kirk is poisoned by a wild beast, the Mugato, not the very disgusting incarnation of the Mugato that we see in Lower Decks. The less said about that, the better. Uh, with the Enterprise unavailable to help, Tyree's wife, Nona, heals Kirk, uh, but she also attempts to control both Kirk and Tyree. Great stereotype there about women. Yikes, trying to pit men against each other. Really not very... Uh, not really not very forward thinking i wasn't really super fond of that but historically accurate uh for you know for a a a primitive society if you will uh after recovering kirk takes nona away from the camp but is attacked by her she steals phaser and runs out of the enemy camp but is killed in the ambush tyree tyree agrees to use weapons to fight to protect his people kirk asks mr scott to make firearms for the primitive people serpents in the garden to maintain a balance of power between the two camps. So, ah, oh, allegories all over the place. And I feel like you're much more intellectual than me, Peter. So you probably have a little bit more perspective on this than I do. I was always really felt that this was uh, reflective of the Vietnam War, which was at its height in 1968, uh, and, and the United States uh, trying to balance the scales to fight communism, uh, to stop it from, you know, taking over Southeast Asia. Um, but ultimately, we, we do see how that worked out. So this is a story, I think, that without a doubt begged for a follow-up of some kind. But Oh, yeah, it would have been good. They just never you know, You know, Kirk did the exact opposite. And it's funny that there was a similar... Uh, plot line, and as was very common in the first season of, of TNG, uh, for the episode Too Short a Season, where you had a Starfleet captain 40 years prior to the episode, and so the ca- that, that captain was now an admiral, an, an ailing admiral, who said, well, 40 years ago, I did for this you know squabbling group exactly what Kirk does here. I gave weapons to the other side, my version of the Prime Directive. And so this was clearly Kirk's version of the Prime Directive, kind of balance the scales yeah, of power. It, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it's the classic, well, someone else screwed with the Prime Directive, so now we've got to balance it. Like, right, yeah. It shows up all the time. And it's, it's one of those where it's like, you got to balance it. And so you're curious, it, it's, it's curious to me of like, so damage has been done, so... Do we Should, act to counteract it or do we let it go because the prime right. tells us not to mess with it? Exactly um, correct. So yeah, no, this was um this was a great episode that I thought and and really you know, TOS episodes did not really have a lot of follow-up. So we did see returns of characters like Harry Mudd, got, but but again that was really very satirical. Uh, but this was a this was a plot thread that I think could have been pretty amazing in an episode of TNG or DS9 or something like that. I mean, I would be okay with them bringing it back for something else later on. Yeah, they exactly. They obviously can't touch it in Strange New Worlds because that takes place right. before. Right, exactly correct. So, yeah, it would have to be something. But this is just a classic, classic, the social commentary, really what Star Trek does best, uh, put into play with with a rip from the headlines uh, kind of thing, which happened, you know, they did it in TNG with with terrorism, like in the episode uh, The High Ground. Uh, they did it. Uh, they did it with, um, with uh, you know, with, with rape and AIDS culture in uh, the episode uh, of Enterprise in season two that was called uh, stigma stigma. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it really is. And this is, I think one of the, really the finest examples of that. So, all right, let's take it home with episode 20, Peter, it's all you. Episode 20 directed by Ralph Sineski, written by John T. Dugan aired on February 9th, 1968 return to tomorrow. Another dun, 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 dun. Tomorrow episodes, but not time travel. <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're screwing with us with time travel. 
So, telepathic aliens take control of Kirk, Spock, and, they, and Dr. Mulhall with the intention to build new android bodies for themselves. So this is after the Enterprise discovers a distress signal from a planet way out there. Um, way out and there. they're contacted by a life form of pure energy that wants just three people to beam down. Uh, they meet Sargon, a conscious mind trapped in a machine. Sargon explains that his civilization traveled space, just like Kirk centuries ago, and left people on various star systems to colonize, and implies that perhaps they are the ancestors of humanity. Um, they like to do that in original series and TNG a lot. Um, but a little bit. Um, anyway, this planet went to war, where the people destroyed themselves except for a few. Sargon, his wife, and another remain alive like this, and wish to take control of Kirk Spock and Dr. Mulhall so they can make antibodies for themselves. The Enterprise accepts their offer after deliberation, and Sargon begins to work. Uh, side note, the, as these enter- entities remain in the bodies, they start to overheat them. Their metabolism isn't, doesn't quite work with it, and so there is a possibility for them to die if they're in there too long. So, Peter, would you say they were hot-blooded? Check it and see. <laughs> Got a fever of 103? Quite. But I, but I digress. <laughs> Um, so they, to allow the body to sustain transformation, Henoch makes a potion, but then Henoch comes up with an idea to rid himself of Sargon so that Sargon's wife, whose name is escaping me because it's not written down. It was, uh, Falesa. I just, I just watched this. I, this is the one that I just watched a couple hours ago. So there we go. Yeah. So he plans to like, Thalesa, we should stay together in the, in these bodies, not androids. Cause they can't sense, feel anything. It's just, you can't love Are you trying to say that androids don't have, don't have boy girl parts. Hello, I'm dating. I wish to take issue with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, he, he, he is fully functional. Yeah, so he devises a plan. So event Sargon, they think they kill him, and he's not dead. And then they um, cause Henoch to poof into oblivion. And then Sargon and Thalesa also decide to enter oblivion together because we've lived too long and we're just going to be a problem. And so, bye. Right. Dust in the wind. Sing it with me, Peter. All we are is dust in the wind. Oh, my gosh. Um, completely irrelevant episode. <laughs> it's interesting in the sense that it's like a classic Star Trek trope of bringing an yeah, right. alien race and, oh, let's see how they interact with modern society. This is actually a trope that I would like to see come back, but in a sure way. Right. I, don't know, I get it. I think it'd be an interesting trope to be like, how does the past live in the present? Right. Right. Topic. Because I think that that's one of the things that Star Trek does really well as well. I think, honestly, it gets better with better on this than it does on the social commentary is just commenting on the human experience. True. Well, social commentary. I mean, and, and again, every Star Trek series has that character, character Spock or Odo in DS9 or, or Data in TNG. That is the non-human character that reflects upon humanity. Like, well, it's so weird that humans do that. And, burr, 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 and why does this thing or that thing? So, yeah, I, I, I get uh, where you're coming there from. Uh, special note, this was one of two original series episodes that guest starred uh, actress Diana Moldar, who later on later goes on to be the and special guest star in season two, but not a cast member, in season two uh, of Dr. Uh, uh, 
Catherine Plasky, uh, who takes the place of uh, uh, Gates McFadden's character, Dr. Crusher, who leaves and comes back. Um, but Dr. Pulaski was really meant to be a TNG spin on Dr. McCoy being crusty and, and disliking the transporter. So I always liked Dr. Pulaski just fine. Um, but yeah, I liked her. I liked her just fine. I would love to have seen her return in some way, shape or form. So, uh, but anyway, that is what wraps us up, uh, for this segment of, uh, talking about season two of Star Trek than the original series. So we will conclude, we will conclude this. Uh, with uh, next week's episode. And then, Peter, you're taking a little vacation because uh, our our friend uh, Katie Quinn is going to be coming on and talking with me, doing recaps uh, about uh, season two of, of TNG. So just wanting to share the love a little bit. So you get a little hiatus before I bring you back to talk about the series after that, which will be Deep Space Nine season two, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. yeah, there we go. So, well, cool. Well, with that, Peter, why don't you take us on out of here? For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey and or Region 13 on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And friends, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, find us over on Twitter at SecretFriendsU. I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. Oh, yeah. Code 47 is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit SecretFriendsUnite.com for our great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to be part of the conversation, visit our new Discord server, or join us on Facebook, or follow us at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends on YouTube, and don't forget to visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.